Hello everyone, it's Coach Heather from TikTok. You may know or remember me as Coach Heather 904. And welcome to our podcast, Get Happy and Drop the Label. In this podcast, we will discuss healing and recovering from all types of trauma. Trauma does not end at growing up. Healing the trauma starts by talking about it. We make ourselves aware and those who seek the truth will keep seeking the truth. We are fully committed to ourselves and to others at the pursuit of happiness, or we will die trying. And remember, recovery is not one size fits all. Hello, everyone. This is our podcast, Get Happy. And my name is Coach Heather. Some of you may know or follow me on TikTok as Coach Heather 904 Um, that's my name. If you guys want to go follow me, if you have not, and also with me tonight are my two co-hosts, Diamond and Cassie and Cassie has actually been on our podcast a few times. If you have listened to us previously in the past, and we just love her, her input, her education, um, her thoughts, her views so much that we asked her to join us permanently on the podcast. So that is exciting. Yay, Cassie. and tonight we are and for those of you who may be new to the podcast um we talk about trauma addiction and recovery mostly um and things of that nature sometimes we might spice it up and do a little dark humor you know because some of these things are kind of um uh, intense. So, you know, we try to lighten it up. And last week, Diamond and I talked about how we find that some people our age, when I say our age, we're all in our um, early to mid to late 30s. Um, um, and that, that's just uh, us three here on the podcast. But we were talking about how some people we found our age get stuck in these like toxic cycles like they always seem to have something bad happening to them they have like bad relationships they don't seem to have good jobs they have bad trips to the grocery store it seems like and we were wondering how do these people seem to like get stuck in that and it's like okay you had a bad childhood we hear you we get that we sympathize with you we empathize with you but at some point you know, like it's frustrating because we're like, well, we want you to take control of your life and fix it. So you're not so sad, you know, because it's not like we're not trying to be like rude or anything, but you know, we're we're getting frustrated because we can't help you. And we're just seeing you be sad and mad all the time. So we just got to like unfollow you on Facebook because we can't take it anymore or, or whatever, you know, like, for our own mental sanity and so that got me thinking because honestly like I've been in that situation myself where I've been found myself like I, I didn't work out it didn't work out at this job or it didn't work out with this relationship and after that happens a couple of times I have to be like oh it can't be them it has to be me well you know well what did I do so that got got me thinking about times where I've been stuck in that cycle and that got led me to something that I learned about that I have suffered from I wouldn't say I'm currently suffering from it but it's called learned helplessness and I am just going to do a quick google read of what that is for anybody who have maybe never heard this term before 
Learned helplessness is a state that occurs after a person has experienced a stressful situation repeatedly. They come to believe that they are unable to control or change the situation, so they do not try, even when opportunities for change become available. And if um, you are someone who suffers from trauma, you may have heard of this book. It's called The Body Keeps the Score. That's like my Bible for anybody who um, has never read that book and um, you're you want to be like more trauma informed that is a great 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 resource um the author of the book is a doctor from sweden i believe and he has studied trauma informed care for 40 years he started with va vet veterans um and it's just a really great resourceful book but anyways in this book where it talks about learned helplessness there is trigger warning an experiment done and the trigger warning is um animal cruelty um, there's an experiment of inescapable shock and where learned helplessness was first studied. And there were two sets of dogs. The first set of dogs, um, they electrocuted in a cage and they locked the cage so that the dogs couldn't get out. And I know that's really graphic and it's a horrible experiment, but I have a point and I'm sorry for how um, triggering that is. The second set of dogs were also electrocuted, but with the cage door open. Those dogs uh, immediately fled the cage to safety and hid. The first set of dogs, because they were shocked repeatedly with the cage door shut, once the cage door was finally open, they refused to leave the cage. They were too scared. So the humans conducting that experiment had to literally physically pick the dogs up out of the cage and put them to safety. Excuse me, um, I need a uh, drink of water. <clears throat> sorry so anyways um so they said that that was what learned helplessness is is even when the opportunity for you to save yourself or find a solution or fix the problem arises you don't go for it you just stay stuck in your in your shit basically and they're saying like that's what learned helplessness is but once you're aware of it, you know, that's, you know, once you know better, you do better. So that's why I wanted to talk about it and um, with Cassie and Diamond and hear what you guys had to say or what you think about it or your experience and what um, uh, things of that nature. Diamond, do you want to go first? I guess I will go. Um, Diamond kicked me out at any point. If you have something to add, I have experience with it through watching my mother and personal experience. So my mother has made a series of bad decisions that she's not accountable for. And then she became disabled in that. She also really enjoys sympathy. So after her stroke and everything, she she just didn't do anything to get better. And then her situation got worse. And then every time anybody tried to present her with the opportunity for like, hey, I found this thing that's gonna make things better. Hey, I found this therapist. She either would say sure, and then she would not do it, or she would just say, no, that's not gonna work. And so like, she is stuck in this cycle of just expecting the wish. Basically she, she thought nothing would ever work out. And 
than mine. I actually just snapped out of recently realizing that I'm sitting here waiting for things to change. I'm waiting for answers. I'm waiting for all of these things to get better. And I'm not doing anything because I'm afraid of what is going to happen. I'm afraid of the, I'm afraid of the world. And then it dawned on me that like safe ain't safe. And now I'm actively making choices that make my life worse. And so regardless of how scary that is, I'm actually attempting, like this podcast is a part of my work. I'm attempting to break out of the cycle of being terrified of the world. And I've had many situations happen as I've stepped out that have, would like for my mother, they would have forced her back and like reinforced like everything sucks and she would have gone back to her shell where I'm like, that is just a part of life. It's not just it, like Uber drive. Like for me, the last when I left, I'm afraid to leave the house and I left the house and I had an Uber driver be super like racist and misogynistic to me in front of my kids. And I almost was like, never going out again. And I was like, Uber drivers, that's like a whole thing on like social media, Uber drivers. It's not just me. I just got a shitty Uber driver. So like, that, yeah, so I, I've stopped the cycle in that aspect by saying, I'm going to encounter assholes when I leave the house and you steal yourself for that instead of I'm just never leaving the house again. Safe is not safe. Does that make sense? That makes sense. When you said that, it, it made me think of something somebody used to tell me when we when we were gambling and they'd say, scared money don't make money. Man, that's, <laughs> apply that to every piece of life. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I know for me, um, I really resonated with that sad story of the dogs that were in the cage um, just because I had a traumatic childhood. Yes. But at some point, you know, at different point pivotal times of my life, I just had to, you know, be tough or I don't know if I should say tough on myself or love on myself I'm not really sure which one actually but I was just like you know I don't want to stay stuck in this cycle I'm just gonna have to like you said break out of it like I'm I'm scared to drive the older I get I'm so scared to drive and here in Jacksonville Florida like they always like Jacksonville Florida is notorious for its construction and like the traffic and everything anybody who like is in like ever this part of the United States knows how bad it is so my anxiety driving is so bad um but I so I'm during COVID and everything I just got used to not going anywhere because no one was going anywhere and then like my anxiety has gotten so bad but now people are like going out again and I wasn't able to have like oh um you know like I had people come over tonight and I got used to like our never being around people and my anxiety was getting horrible I don't know if that happened to other people and a lot of that was starting to stem from my childhood and I was just you know like like Diamond said like I was just starting to get frustrated with myself because I'm like this no I this isn't how I want to be but I could see how some people get stuck in that like not I don't condone it but I understand it I feel like it's it's it almost you mean when you're talking just now it made me think of like being a mother like it's the same thing our parents had a choice at some point and like some of my mother is not aware of what she is doing, like validly, she is a victim in her own mind. She's not aware. But at some point, 
someone makes you aware. She's been told, but she can't fathom it. You have a choice to do better and you either do or you don't. Like we have the choice to continue the cycle with our kids and we choose not to. And it's the same thing, you know what I mean, for learned helplessness. I feel like there are some people that just can't because the, the trauma door is too big. The trauma door has got thorns on it that they can't, they just can't. And it's easy. Like I have a neighbor that she's disabled. She's missing a leg and she can do a lot more than she lets on. I can see it. And like, she hits her call button on her husband for fun. And like, what does that mean? Hits the call like button. She has a call button for if she like falls or something. And like, she'll oh. just, she'll, she'll be outside and like, she'll know he's resting and she'll hit it and be like, I was just checking. Like, and she, he, he already waits on her hand and foot. You know what I mean? And like, she expects that because she's missing her leg. And I think maybe I might have a harder view of it because my mother used her disability to exacerbate the learned helplessness. And then like, she stopped doing regular care tasks and it became like, I can't, but you can shop. You can roll up to Walgreens and spend three hours in the aisles, but you cannot take a shower. Yeah. Like, like you can't brush your teeth, but you can, what? Like it, it just didn't, and it doesn't like want to be the victim about everything. It's, and I, I tend to find it like our generation, I'm really proud of our generation because like, we're the ones that are like, I don't want to be like that and rely on everyone for everything all the time. Whereas our parents, that's how we, we were the insurance policy. You know what I mean? So they didn't have to do anything. They could just guilt us into doing it. And so you have like my sister is like, she's 30 years old. She's a boomer. She's a boomer at heart. So, you know, if you are brainwashed and you never leave, then you just become doomed to repeat that cycle. So that's why you see like a lot of the, a lot of us that don't subscribe to learned helplessness, we're the ones that left. We're the ones that are looking at ourselves and our pain and our trauma and saying like, how can I be better? How can I model better for my kids? Because we were not given that. I'm doing it's this about Yeah, yeah. Like, hey, I'm really proud of us because you know none of us have handbooks, and it's hard to be a mom. For you know, all three of us here are moms, and uh, I'm really proud of us. You know, for all the the work that we do because we're doing a great job. Mm-hmm. And a lot of us are doing it, like you said, without a handbook, but also without parents that modeled anywhere near what the right way to be around or with a child was, like most of us, a lot of us only know what it's like to be neglected and abused and verbally berated. And just, so the fact that we've come out of it, we pulled ourselves, like we, it's funny because we, our generation has pulled ourselves up emotionally by the bootstraps, literally. That's what I was thinking earlier. I was literally thinking by the bootstraps, but I couldn't remember how to say it. So it's funny you said it. I mean, if you think of it, that you know that phrase is not real. You cannot do that. It's not possible to pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Yet our generation, one hundred percent, has been like, I just don't like being sad. I don't want to be sad. This is, and my kids are sad, and everyone's sad. Like, I don't want to. I don't want to do this anymore. Well, then when you're sad all the time, that causes disease and stuff. Because when I'm stressed out, like it literally bothers my ulcerative colitis. So it really is taxing on my health to 
be sad. It takes, it sucks the life out of me, literally. So I have to work like happiness is truly an inside job. And the older I get, I just realize I just have to let go and just do what works best for me. And that doesn't mean that I have to go around being a bitch or anything, you know, be kind to be compassionate and, you know, what you give is, I think what you give is what you receive and what you put out or what you put in is what you put out or however you say it. And, um, another thing that, um, I was looking at when I was learning about learned helplessness is CPTSD. And, um, I was brought that up, you know, because I was thinking about that when you said, um, the trauma door, and I don't know if people know what CPTSD is, but that stands for complex post-traumatic stress disorder. And I don't know if people know what the difference of CPTSD and PTSD is, but basically PTSD is like a one-time event or short-time event. So um, veterans who went over to Afghanistan would have PTSD and then maybe they would suffer. You would see them triggered that for that, like maybe on the 4th of July. But CPTSD is whenever you you are exposed to multiple traumatic events over a long period of time. So instead of having um, like um, like these fl triggering flashbacks like you would expect from veterans, um, people with complex post-traumatic stress disorder is more like... Um, emotional flashbacks so maybe you're arguing about finances and um, the person who's feeling triggered maybe they divert back to a time when their parents were arguing over money when they were a childhood and they act out way more aggressively than they should and that kind of stems from the cptsd but that also can like kind of plays into the learned helplessness and how we get stuck in that cycle because it's like you truly get stuck like you think you don't deserve any better and then also people with cptsd and if they're real victimized like you were saying about your 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 mother i don't know if your mother was this way but it's it, they always need someone to be codependent with yes and yes. that is a toxic thing yes sorry I didn't mean to cut you off yeah oh no go it's, ahead I, I wanted to hear what you wanted to say honest like when I was reading the study about the dogs obviously I identified with the cage dog and I mean if the, when you're in a situation when you're a child you don't have an out. Like you're an adult. If your husband began to out of nowhere just to be, you could literally pick up and walk away, right? right? When you're six years old, not only is your mother abusing you, but you cannot correlate the two between the person that's supposed to love me is abusing me. So then you start to mold the two with love and you don't have any way out. You are that cage dog. And so that's why, like, I was 33 when I quit talking to my family. The cage door had been open for a long time, for a long time. How are and you I now? still, huh? 37. Oh, okay. So, like, it, it took me a long time to realize that I didn't have to put up with that stuff just because they were my family. So, I mean, when with CPTSD, everything is a trigger, a trigger, a smell is a trigger a sound is a trigger, a clip from a movie is a trigger. Like I, as I've been going through like my childhood media, it is the most, it, all of these memories and feelings and things are rushing back because I didn't realize that I had buried pieces of my trauma in those things. And so 
it can keep you stuck. And especially if you're someone with CPTSD that over explains things, you've given your abuser the keys to abuse you. Mm-hmm. So then it becomes, ex- you have your trauma weaponized against you and exploited. And so again, you're stuck where you feel like you can't leave. Like, and, and it also does go back to that codependent fear, fear of being alone. You know, you just can't, you can't see the way out. You can't see what the other side of being alone is. Like, dude, that's been one of my biggest lessons is be, learning how to be alone and be okay with being alone without needing that constant connection and validation. It's, it's very, very hard to stop. But yeah, when, when the cage door gets opened after so long, you just, you can't, you can't walk out because outside is scary and you know what's inside the cage and you've already, you've got mechanisms to deal with it. You know what I mean? Like your armor mm-hmm. is for that cage. Your armor is not suited for the outside world. So it's like either take the armor off or don't. It hurt when I took my armor off. I felt so bad about the toxic behaviors that I picked up as a result of um, my childhood trauma. And um, I I mean, not just the learned helplessness, but you you know, like I'm sure everybody probably feels that way. Not just me, right? Yes. Yes. I've been like listening to you guys and it's, it's, and I know we know about the topic ahead of time. So that's why I was letting you guys talk, but it's like interesting because for what the term itself means, like, I don't have that. I don't have learned, learned helplessness. I don't have like, I just don't have that for what the term itself is. And it's like weird because one of the reasons why I originally joined the podcast anyways was because of like my profession. And so we've, we've known that I don't struggle with certain things, but that that's the profession I chose and like listening to you guys talk and just like your experiences, it's very interesting. And I've sat with like clients, patients, depending on the job, who have said some of the things like you guys have said and like they've been mad at me because it's like at times like I had to just hold them like accountable because that was my job it's like I had to hold them accountable and kind of remind them like yes you have gone through this but everyone everyone has it so like your world sometimes has blinders to what you've experienced and what you've seen and so it's been nice to kind of listen to you guys and understand like where you guys are coming from and continue to like see that and hear that and and just like grow from that and just know how to talk to people in the future as well I'm glad that you hold people accountable though Diamond because I mean sometimes people don't want to hear it but you know somebody somebody needs to tell like people like somebody needs to hold other people accountable, you know, so, and especially in your profession, but I appreciate how you always want to learn and hear more things, but personally, that's just one of my favorite things about you. Yeah, like, I enjoy listening to stuff, because I'm like, okay, like, especially, and I think I've said this on here before, like, because of my profession, a lot of the time I get people at like the beginning of their like beginning middle. So I don't get to see them come full circle. So it's cool to hear 
like the full circle version sometimes and just see like where people are coming from then in the future I even know how to maybe speak differently or maybe choose a different method or just different stuff because I just I definitely think that people who have been traumatized no matter what the trauma is like I don't even just mean drug addiction or anything like that I think people who have been traumatized unfortunately like sometimes and I think we said this kind of last week you just have to like get over it at a certain age where if you are a parent I sometimes had to tell people I need you to also figure out how to be a parent unless you want your child to go through the same thing so let's figure out the tools that we need to give you because while you're never going to actually get over it, you have to learn to live with this situation. You have to learn to live and create a better environment for your children. So like, what do we need to do? What do we need to work on? And people would be so pissed off. Like, don't tell me to get over it. And then they would come back two, three sessions later and be like, okay, you're right. I see what you're saying. And I'm like, yeah, okay. So like, what do we need to do? Because you can't always complain you can't always be in your feelings about something like everything needs to have a resolution. But I would always tell people, I can't force you to that resolution. So, you know, whenever you're ready, we can talk about it. But I just need you to know at some point, like we're going to have to have a resolution. So when I'm like listening and when I was reading about learned helplessness, it, it kind of sucked. I don't really like the definition, honestly, because it does kind of isolate people. And I think like for anyone who's gone through a traumatic experience of any sort, it the term itself kind of like makes you feel like you're isolated and different than other people but I think it's cool to also like some of the tools that I've seen and like I was I saw the dog and I also saw I can't remember his name right now but another experiment and I was reading and it was really cool though because it kind of started a movement for people to really change how they treated children and animals and there's different things like that so I was like oh that's really cool so it was interesting but again like I like listening to you guys talk about it because I was like wow like I actually don't fall into this category at all and that in itself was kind of interesting because usually I can kind of relate to something but I was like yeah I'm not in this one I'm like out of this one that's and I good. I'm glad that you can't relate with it so I'm sorry Cassie go ahead Oh, no, I was just going to say, I do want to offer a different perspective of the get over it from someone who has been traumatized and told to get over it. The way it was framed to me when I asked my therapist why I couldn't get over it, I was told, imagine two people are in a car and they're, they experience an accident and they could be in the same accident and it affects them completely differently. One could be totally fine. No, like they could have broken every bone and been like, they're cool to drive afterwards. The other one could have gotten minor cuts and scrapes and never gets in a car again. So like, I think, and I think that's kind of what we were talking about between like my mom and me is that some people just can't. It's oh no, I good. still believe you have to get over it. And I think that not everyone it's important. Can. No, that's why I'm saying I believe in telling people you have to get over it enough to live if you don't want to live you don't have to get over it and eventually the state will stop paying for your counseling sessions and unfortunately you will be in that stage in life but you have to be willing 
to progressively live your life if that's what you want to do. So I don't and sometimes think people, people don't though. Some of us we, I know, we don't want to live. We just don't want to kill ourselves. But that's what I'm saying. If you don't want to live, if you don't want to get past that, that is okay. You are entitled to that. But as the person who's sitting on the other side of you, that's not what I'm getting paid for. I'm not getting paid, especially by the state, to allow you to come in every single week and not some type of way encourage you to live. Because if that oh, was yeah. the case, I would you just, can encourage I would they just don't do that all day. To, yeah. So but, yeah, I'm yeah. not, I don't, I, my role isn't to care about if you want it or not. My job is to tell you, this is what we need to do when you're ready. If you're ready, we can do this a hundred percent. If not, that is okay. I can meet with you until your funding stops. I can meet with you until you stop showing up. I can meet with you until I just have to say, okay, I can no longer help you because things are not changing. And then we go our separate ways. People who don't want to change are different than people who do. I yeah. will give someone six months of my time. If I don't see any change, I will recommend them to someone else because I don't believe in burning myself out. I don't believe in giving that person pointless goals. I don't do that because I've always worked for jobs that are state funded. So at some point I'm like, you're not for me anymore. I'm not for you anymore. Go our separate ways. But I tell people probably by the third session, what do we need to do for you to get over it? And that's, of course, it's always in quotation marks. They'll give me every excuse in the world. And that's why I said maybe by like the third or fourth week, they're like, okay, I see what you're saying. And then we start to work towards an actual goal. But if the goal's not there, I personally am just not going to, I'm not going to entertain it because I don't have to. And I think that's the beauty in the profession is when you are truly about the people that you want to serve you can kind of see the people who you can put your all into. And then you can also see the yes. people who might be better for another person. And that's okay. Like when I'm not for someone, I'm like, I'm going to recommend you to this person because I think that their tactics align more with yours. And we go our separate ways and that's okay. And I have people who do the same thing to me. They're like, oh my gosh, Diamond, I think this person will love you. And they came to me and they're like, this is what I needed. Because like me, I'm not a very soft person. So I am a counselor. Yeah, I couldn't you be your client at all. I'm too yeah, gentle, like, too fragile. I, yeah, no, I, I'm not, I'm not, I, a lot of my patients have been men and they have loved it because I'm very just to the point. I don't, I don't do the whole, like, I believe everyone deserves their chance to tell their story, but I also believe it comes a point in life where like, you just have to decide to either do better or do what you know. And if, if you want to do what you know, that's cool. That's not for me. I'm not, you know, and that's why I joined because I was like, oh, okay, like Heather's story was very touching. It was very interesting. But what I really like about Heather's story is she lived in it and then she got over it. And then she's like, oh, I'm going to help other people. And I love that. And I'm like, okay, this is someone that I can take tips from because I love that. Like she doesn't dwell and, you know, just, this this version of her isn't for a pity party and so I really like that and I'm like okay this is someone I can align with because even though I'm not soft she can teach me how to be softer towards yeah. other people and I love that and that's why with this topic I was just like well I don't relate to this so I would really like to listen to what they have to say because it's something that is very specific 
and it needs to be spoken about properly and not from someone who doesn't have any experience. Fair. That, that is a, a response. To, I, there, there are so many people in the world that are, especially like on TikTok, that are giving advice that they are not qualified to give. Like, I, and I mean, from that perspective of like, you're, you're not sitting here trying to like talk about a topic that you have experienced, that you haven't experienced from any other reference than the people that you've dealt with. Whereas you'll find people that are just like, you need to do this and you need to do this. And like, you can't sympathize with me. You, you, you don't understand what I'm going through, you know? So when it's like, if you weren't a therapist, it would sound insensitive. Does that make sense? Be, but you have the frame of reference to talk about it. So it makes better sense for me. Does that? Yeah, no, that makes sense. And that, that's why I like some stuff. I'm just like, I like to talk closer to the end because I really like to, I don't want to hear, like, I don't want any, not saying you would, but like, I just know some people, I'm not even saying Heather, I just know some people in general, sometimes they hear something and then they change what they were originally going to say. And I'm like, no, like, I want to hear the authentic version I like to talk like to closer to the end because I'm honest like some stuff I don't even I don't know like I've never been to an AA meeting we talked about that before so I was I'm Same. still really intrigued about that because I'm like you know I've never been there so when Kyle and Heather would talk about those I would just sit in silence I'm like so intrigued like this is what you guys go through like this is really yeah. happening like you know like and then me too another thing with me and this is for anybody like I don't care who they are like this could be anyone listening this could be you guys I am a reporter. I will report people. So if something illegal is going on and you want to tell on somebody, I'll tell. I'll snitch. I don't care. I am so You're ethical. You're though, right? <laughs> I am, but I'm just so ethical in general. Even if I don't know, even if I'm not 100% sure, I will go through the right avenues to be like, hey, this is the situation, whatever, whatever, whatever. And I remember talking to Heather and Kyle and Kyle was telling us something. And I, you know, I was a little bit uncomfortable with it because I was just like, you know, if you know this is going on, like, why aren't you reporting it? Why aren't we vocalizing in the proper manner that this is taking place if, if this is truly going on? And then that's when I had to kind of remember, like, I don't 100% know, like Heather might know better than me, but I guess like if you're in AA, maybe it's a little bit more scary to report, even though you don't go there anymore. Like, I don't know, I can't relate, but like, that's where like, I was like, uh, well, you can tell me the name, I'll tell. <laughs> I'll snitch, just just say word and I'll tell for you. I think I'm a snitch too. <laughs> reporting is, it's, I've had a therapist report me and lie. So like it's it's very oh yeah so yes came house and it's yeah because they thought something was going on and so I do and I've talked about it with my therapist because it gave me trauma from like seeking help in in general I didn't want to go to any type of medical complex um, which perpetuated learned helplessness so I had to realize that, like not every therapist is an asshole. Um, but it's it's murky with reporting because if you're reporting and nothing happens, then you've just potentially put that person in more danger. Like I have a neighbor who is getting abused. I can hear it. And I've talked to her and I've offered her out. She doesn't want to leave. She can't leave. She's got kids, learning helplessness. And I know that 
like she knows to come over here, but I know that if I call the cops, it's going to make it worse. And her children are in the house. And it's the same type of thing for therapists. Like, I think that might be why some are less likely, especially if the person has no intention of leaving, you know, like when you factor that learned helplessness back into there. So I think with like mandated reporting, I think that some therapists take their time because it could potentially make it very much worse for the person that you're reporting for. Like I never take my time. And that's to be honest, if you, of course, I mean, as long as it matches, like if a woman, I don't care if I know she's leaving or not. And this is, this is just the truth. And this is where I feel like you also have sketchy therapists. I'm not losing my license because you don't want to leave your, your boyfriend, your baby daddy, your husband, your whoever, because the second it gets too bad and the police are called and the whole weeping and crying and the things come out, especially if there's children involved, because then CPS gets involved. And then it's like, oh, you know, everyone knows. And when you start to classify who everyone knows is, I'm not losing my license because you don't want to leave. And it sounds selfish. It sounds rude, but it's just the reality of the job. No, it's different when there's kids involved. It's different when there's kids involved, but in DV, that woman can get killed. She can get killed. And even still, because you, you said she has kids with him. I would still have to tell because if she, or if it was ever reported that she would, that she had told me and then he killed her, I'm still liable. So either way, it's a lose-lose situation. And I feel like that's why, and I've had women like that. And I've told them, I need you to tell me how serious this actually is. Because if this is not that serious to you, then I'm going to refer you to someone else. But if you're telling me that your life is in danger, I'm not letting you leave and I'm calling the police. So I need you to decide. And I've had women who have- choice. That's a big wanted, you know, whatever the service was. What'd you say? It's a big, scary choice to make in a snap. Oh yeah, but I have to do it because at the end of the day, I'm not going to be liable for whatever happens afterwards. And I have people who don't care, but I care. Like if if you leave my office after telling me that he just beat your ass last night and he said that when if you don't leave my office by 805, he's gonna kill you. And I let you leave my office at 807 and I find out you're dead that's on my conscience some people they don't care they're like okay whatever my job is my job is my job when I go home it's not my job anymore not me so I need you to be very clear very frank because there's so there's my thing about women too and this for some women this makes them uncomfortable but for some women this is what I had to remind them so that they knew like I could help them you're not a man this world and this government is literally built for you and your kids. It's not necessarily built for a single woman, but it's built for you and your kids. So if you genuinely want to leave, I can really make that happen for you. Like it can be a thing. So I just that is not that, but that's not a resource that's accessible to all women. Like this, that if you're an, black it's and brown, a resource. That's no, that resource is actually it's probably depends on your state. So I don't want to quote big states like California and Texas and those places. 
in Ohio, if you tell me, me and my children have nowhere to go, we have tons, and I do mean tons because we are a woman state, we are a mother state, tons of shelters that you can go to and that will take care of your entire being. You can be in a shelter for three months here and in that fourth and fifth month, you can be living in government assisted housing. So that is for not me, the rest of the country, that is not, well, I don't, not Florida. Shelters I don't live in the rest of the country though. Yeah. So but for I'm me, saying- I have to make a decision and determine how I want to have that conversation because if something happens to her, that's on me. See, that's even though like you guys have gone through it, you're living through it and it's your reality as the woman, whether it's domestic, whether it's sexual, whether it's drugs, that's your reality. And sometimes like, I'm glad that you guys know about your state, but because I know about my state, sometimes I have to put these women in a situation where I just need you to tell me if you really want help, because if you want the help, the help is here for you. If you don't want the help, that's fine. But I'm now going to refer you here because we, I'll get in trouble. Like I can literally open up a CPS case on a mom for her to just get help. It doesn't have to be because her kids are in danger. It doesn't have to be because her house is dirty. It can literally be because she can't feed her children. I can open up a CPS case for her and she can start to get assistance. They will help her get beds for her kids. They will help her get clothes for her kids. They will help her with transportation. If she doesn't have a license, yeah, they'll help the her get a license. For the rest of the country though, that's definitely not how it works everywhere else. Cause no, like <laughs> CPS usually comes in like, and takes your kids and adopts them out to wealthy white families. Like that's a very common thing of children being medically kidnapped and stuff like that. Or CPS getting involved for no reason. And yeah, no, CPS makes most people recoil in horror because CPS is a scary, scary agency that does not want to help. Well, I don't know about other states. I work in four states and I can say that reunification I worked in Maryland and reunification was the top most important thing. So again, I don't know about places more Southern. I don't know about like places like California, Florida. I definitely don't know about those places that I'm from up North, but I know the different agencies I've worked at, you will find there's a lot of resources. Now, will I, will I say that if you're not, if you don't work for the state, if you don't work for the County, do you know about them? I don't know. Cause a lot of these things I didn't know about until I Work oh, I work for social services. Yeah. And there's the, they I, in California, it's still abysmal. It's abysmal. But also yeah, the California women, a lot trashy. of the women. Find, <laughs> huh? I said California seems trashy because there's so many people. So I believe California is probably trash. <laughs> Florida's I mean, trash too. Like they, they give people one-way bus tickets to Jacksonville. There's so, and I go volunteer, volunteer down there um, every, I mean, um, the first Saturday of, every, of the month. And there's so many homeless people in Jacksonville and there's kids and they're just like sleeping on the ground. And this is, it's terrible. See, now we're jumping into rent crisis. Like a lot of, but a lot of the people that you find on the streets are either struggling with mental health issues, drug addiction issues, or they're stuck in cycles of trauma. And that is what they know. That is, and it's, it's safer. all they know. You know, and it's safer than because they've lost everything so many times and it's like learned help. Like, why bother? Why even bother? 
you know, I'm going to get into this house and I'm going to lose it. Why would I even bother? I'm going to get into this house and I'm going to get robbed. Why even bother? Like that was, that was my dad. He was one of those people on the streets, like, because why bother? It always That's how my mom is too. My mom never got like, got out of the learned helplessness. She's still sucking, stuck in it now. And um, yeah, it's really sad when you see people fall into that because you know that they it's, it's like watching them have cancer or something mm-hmm. except, except you know what the remedy is you know they can get better but they just don't and it's so sad but diamond said something important of you it's important to identify who wants help because like in yep. the first times of meeting my neighbor like we were talking we were and she brought up some really uncomfortable stuff about her dad and then I gave her some tools because I have the similar try and she's not interested she just she likes the life that she leads being waited on hand and foot you know that's what she wants to do she does not want to get better she does not want to figure out ways to assist her husband who is also aging and caring for her she just wants to sit in her sadness you know and say it's so nice to be noticed like you could make yourself be noticed you'd have to you know but it also it's a damaged inner child you know what I mean those yeah those inner children are you know like really um take up a lot of my time and energy Mm -hmm. I really think that a lot of the learned helplessness we see is a frozen five-year-old who doesn't think they can get out because that's what it felt like for me like I you feel like everything is scary nothing's gonna work like and it's it's the how the back to the dog experiment the the ones were like oh i'm going to go i'm i'm going to go and those are the people like us those are the people that want the resources that are offered but then there are the people that want to stay in the cage yeah and the, like literally the only way they can get out is someone picks them up but even still you know they pr- probably have uh they secreted the dog's stool after that and even three months later the dog still exerted a lot of cortisol in their in their stool um and have an elevated cortisol in your um blood and in your stool that means you're chronically stressed out all the time mm-hmm. if you're chronically stressed out all the time then that is the main source of inflammation and inflammation is what causes 97 percent of all the chronic illnesses here in america wouldn't you know that i wonder why millennials have so many a- inflammatory disorders yeah, inflammatory and autoimmune, you know, because also <laughs> when you're dealing with stress all the time, you, your brain is like, okay, we're just going to be stressed out all the time. I can't take this. I'm going to slowly yep. kill myself. And yep. that's where and autoimmune comes from. Yeah. And you don't like there's in spiritual practices, it's believed that when you don't express the trauma, it lives there. And until you physically, just like a knot in your back, till you physically go in and do the work, sit with a therapist or meditate or whatever to break it up and move it around, it's not going anywhere. And that wears on your organs, that wear, like carrying that extra weight wears on your body. And I think too, some people get so run down that they just can't. They just, they, they just can't, it's too heavy. It's too much. Like, and yeah. it sucks because you can't help. You cannot help those people. Like in Diamond's case, like there are some cases where like you have to call CPS because the mother is unwilling to take care of herself. 
you had there is a level of like commitment there like I am falling apart most days my kids know it sometimes but I still get up and be a mother every day because I want my kids to not have to heal from me I don't want my kids doing this joining podcast so that they can talk about the ways that I fucked them up like doesn't sound fun like yeah I'd rather listen to your kids talk about his logo on his podcast that part you know like I'd rather him have a podcast because he's a top Disney animator not my mom with a basket case and like abused the shit out of me so yeah and because of all the work that we're doing and because you and I decided to step out of the cage and because we have awesome friends like Diamond you know like think of all the opportunities that our children are going to have that we never got to have and hey we're still alive you know just because we're getting a little little older we can still go do some of those um you know inner children type activities I, I did virtual reality for the first time with my little brother uh last week and that was really fun um I did it for two hours and I got vertigo and almost threw up <laughs> yeah. that's real yeah yeah he, he said it oh and he said I'm a horrible direction follower he was like oh my god dear lord <laughs> he's like how did you teach kindergarten you're so stupid you can't follow any of these directions oh uh, you know you y'all met him a couple of weeks ago mm-hmm. <laughs> but anyway so that was fun and also I wanted to um comment to when you said um you know you have all that trauma um stored in your body so, um, my coach, um, said something to me a couple of weeks ago that really resonated with me. He held up, um, a little cup and he was like, this cup probably weighs like eight ounces. It's not that heavy. He's like, I can hold this cup for eight seconds. He's like, I can hold it for eight minutes. He's like, I could probably hold it for eight hours if I really wanted to, cause it's not that heavy. He said, but what if I held it for eight days? He said, what if I held on to this cup for eight years? You know, yep. he's like, that cup is going to get heavy after all. He's like, that's your trauma. That's your whatever it is that's stopping you from not doing what you want. And I was like, gosh, that's right. And when he said, said that, I also thought about my therapist said, I need to just sit. I'm rolling my eyes as I say this. My therapist okay. told me I needed to go sit with myself with no phone, no distraction, no tv no no my husband no nothing so I was like oh fuck all right because I was tired of these triggers taking over my life like I can't even go to the grocery store you know I'm like this is getting stupid you know I'm 30 years old I can't go to this grocery store come on (laughs) you know so anyways my therapist told me just do 30 minutes I ended up in the bathroom crying for five hours and I was like wow I cannot believe I was holding on to all that. And I just boo-hoo. I cried about my dad, my sister, my childhood, probably stuff I saw on TikTok, just everything. And I was like, um, I don't want to let that manifest like that again. But you yeah. know, like you said, I, it was all been up inside me, you know, and it really does turn into disease and stuff. Yep. On um, another resource is The Body Never Lies by Alice Miller and I believe she worked with Besser van der Kolk with that did the body keeps the score and she talks about the ways that parenting plays into the way that we hold on to our trauma and the way that we express it and she looked at it through the lives of dictators and like crazy authoritarian rulers 
and like looked at their childhoods and the tortured artists and things like that to see how their parents were. And a lot of the dictators were very small, very helpless, very, their mothers berated them, their fathers emasculated them and their whole presentation in the world is to avoid people seeing how small they are Mm, and it's it's to project the helplessness you know what I mean and that that is I think again the difference of like being willing to admit your smallness because the when once you begin to take accountability for things shit gets heavy real quick think about all the times you figured out you were the problem and I think that might be like with diamonds clients accountability is heavy bro Mm -hmm. but it's heavy and it's hard to hold and it it's a web because one decision begets one situation begets one choice begets it it, it's all related and then you have to sit in the gravity of what your life has become and that's why a lot of people I think don't want help because they would have to admit a lot of really ugly things about themselves you know it's it's it doesn't feel great to admit my toxic traits. Let's just say that it doesn't feel great. So. Same. It doesn't feel great either, but I will say this is just me personally. Um, whenever I was in AA, they would talk about the ninth step promises. And I know um, they would say you will intuitively know how to handle situations that used to baffle you. And basically the ninth step promises is where you go out into the world and make your amends with people, places and things. And um, it sucks to be accountable. I agree. It sucks really bad because it's like, it's like, gosh, I, I don't like, I was, I was in survival mode and I treated all these people horribly and I just have to take accountability for it. Cause I don't want to do this ever again, but afterwards, like, it's kind of like, you know, like, I don't, I, I don't, um, I don't know about where y'all live, but the weather is so nice after a hurricane goes by, like the next day, it's just the most perfect weather. And it's kind of like that, um, you know, it feels like this big storm comes out of you but afterwards it's so nice because you're like wow okay we're doing this I'm not self-sabotaging anymore I'm holding myself accountable you know I'm um when I say I'm gonna be somewhere I go somewhere and I'm not lying I'm not people pleasing I know is a complete sentence that you know I think it just dawned on me I think the reason that some people it's the ego Mm-hmm. It's the ego. Some people's egos are just too fragile to admit all of the bad things that they've done or all of the things that they have let happen to them because of all of the shame and the stuff that's underneath it, you know? And so it's, it's huge that when people are able to be like, I need help. I can't do this. This is too hard. And to start to pick apart their own insides it's it's a very big undertaking like and it's anyone that does it should be incredibly proud of themselves because it's not easy to do yes I agree with you 100% anybody who's done that type of I like to call it shadow work um uh, I agree it's very hard and um everyone should definitely be proud of themselves because you know like people like my mom 
my therapist says that, you know, my mom's narcissistic and probably bipolar too. Um, and my, she said that she had to form those mental disorders to be able to deal with her life. Mm -hmm. You know, she probably always be that way because after my sister died, she did not even care. She did not cry one tear. I mean, maybe she did like when no one was looking, but she really acted like she didn't care in front of everybody. And my therapist said the reason she acted like that is because she can't really deep down inside deal she's with numb. Yeah, she's numb. Like it would probably kill my mom to deal mm -hmm. with all that stuff. And I like disagree with that. I feel like I get where your therapist is going, but I have had seven miscarriages. So even though those aren't actual, I've, some of them were babies, but even though I've never had to bury an older child, I can say that if you saw me with like my first, maybe three, and then if you saw me with like my last three, you would think that I feel like the, the cycle of therapists, counselors, need to stop kind of talking about our parents and their generation without our parents physically being there. Because while we live with our parents and we think we know as moms now, there's so much stuff that I go through on a daily basis that my little six-year-old has no idea. So she's formulating who she thinks I am in her head. And while I hope that it's great, if it's ever not great, She's only formulating that through her own opinions. Yes, on what I've shown her, but not on my life and my life story. And so not necessarily for me, because I will say I have very good parents and I've had a very good upbringing. So I think overall, I have a lot of support with my kids. But when I have patients tell me things about their parents, I try to try to remind them that I was not there and you were not there. and our parents, like the world was, was extremely different. Like taking into account being a minority, I'm still trying to understand how my grandparents are, were, are married to each other because my grandma is white. So it's just like the world was very different for them. And the things that were acceptable were very different. And then it was like this huge shift just came. And to just think that you have all the education to your mom could be sad. Something freaking crazy is how in her life could Your mother happen. beating you up and locking you in your bedroom. Those it things It does. Right. It doesn't, but it doesn't negate a therapist who's never had a conversation with her, who's never sat down and listened to the depths of her life, tell though. you that she is these things. And I'm specifically talking about how she feels about losing her child. I don't think anybody can tell you how another person feels about losing their child. And I feel like that is a very thin line between your therapist being just that, your therapist and your mom being a person. And depending on where you are in your stage of healing, you could really believe that your mom does not care that she lost a child that she birthed into this world. My mom and wouldn't care be, if I died, bro. I'm telling you. Like, and so, you, like, can, not moms you, can, are, you can say that, but what I'm saying is as someone else, I would never say that to you because I'm not going to put that on you. See, when it comes out of your mouth, it's one thing. If you think that, you're entitled to that. Oh, but no, to that's go to somebody it's in not, their- It's not a thought, it's the truth. What, I, what I'm saying is going to someone such as Heather, who is in a healing process, who has lost a sibling, I would not feel comfortable to tell her 
that her mother does not care that she lost a child that she birthed into this world because she's not acting appropriately to what Heather thinks is appropriate. Oh no, I she would not do that. Numb. She said she was numb. She was, it sounded like she was commiserating with her. Like your mom is numb. It's not that she doesn't care. Yeah, she you know? didn't what say I, my mom but, didn't but care. I'm she not saying that. that. What I'm saying is in general, I personally don't touch on those types of subjects because to even say your mom is numb, she might not be numb at all. She could literally be heartbroken. Like, but you're her other child and you're still here and she still feels like the mom in her. And I'm not saying this is how your mom feels. I'm just using this as an example. She's still the mother to the rest of these kids. Cause I remember you said your mom has a lot of kids. She's still the mother to you guys. You guys are still in mourning. She has never lost a child before. So it doesn't necessarily have to be, she's numb. She doesn't, she doesn't know how to act because what do you do? What do you know what you would do? Cause I don't know. I feel like I don't know how I, I would actually act in front of people. If my child I would shut died. down. I, would shut down. I, can, I can't even fathom life without my child. So that's why I don't typically like to talk to people about how other people are handling loss specifically. I just have always thought that that's kind of a poor thing to do because unless you're talking to that person, you genuinely don't know. So Heather's feeling of her feeling numb while Heather is entitled to that, that would be a part of like my session with Heather. I'm going to leave it right there. I'm not even going to engage in that because to be honest, neither one of us know. And I, and I'm only saying this because Heather has spoken about her mom on several occasions. And it's just like, I think that that is genuinely something that you're working out. And so like, I, my only recommendation would be until you're ready to really talk to your mom about these things, stop creating what you she think can't she talk might to be her feeling. Mom, but but how do you do that if the person that you need to talk to is never going to be mentally capable of talking to you? That's on her because I don't, depending, like I once at one point in time, I don't remember his name right now. It's right on top of my head. But she did say that based off of what he was saying, she sees things in her mom that she did not realize. So I think that Heather is in a really great place where if she wants to, she can at least try. Now, if her mom shuts it down, she shuts it down. I just personally, because we've talked about it and it's not just you, Heather, it was just like, because I, you were saying you're a therapist and I don't necessarily agree with people doing that because sometimes I just believe that unintentionally, depending on where you are, and we have like a long conversation about this, but depending on where you are in your healing process, it can do different things for you. So I just don't believe that your therapist, even though it's with good intention, well, I think it's with good intention. You sound like you have a good therapist. Like, I just sometimes feel like we put too much pressure on our parents to be different people right now. Like, I don't think you can change whoever your parents are. This at 30 plus years old, I don't think that we can change who these people who are 50 plus years old are, but we can look back and we can say, okay, these are the traits that I acquired from this person. What do I need to do to to remove these traits and or improve these traits? And then how can I also heal what this person did to hurt me? Because Mm -hmm. I'm still entitled to be hurt, but I can't expect that person to change. Therefore, I can't keep living in in that place of vulnerability. You guys had touched on saying that it feels like you're stuck in a five year old's body. I understand that, but you're not five anymore. So you have to still be willing to step out of it. But emotionally, no, emotionally, you're not. 
And that's, 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 the, that's the truth of it is that you're not emotionally five years old because if you were, you wouldn't be able to articulate it in the manner in which you guys are able to no, articulate it. No, 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 no. You're, you're five years old emotionally. Your responses are emotionally five years old, but you are in an adult body who has been socialized in the world so you can articulate. But that's why you see irrational reactions from grown people. Like look at the Karens. Those women are emotionally five years, they're infantilized. And so they kick, scream, and cry when they don't get their way because they don't have any other tools in the toolbox. That's or that's because they're just entitled. So I think it depends because I I don't agree with that at all. I don't think that a Karen. I mean, it depends on what the Karen is overreacting for. But the Karen who wants to yell at you and Victoria's Secret because she thinks you're taking too long is I'm not thinking it's because she's five because I, at this point I I have a six year old and she doesn't do those things. So. Doesn't doesn't mean that other people's don't. I do not think that every single Karen or majority of Karens and maybe Karens just aren't the right ones. I personally think a lot of the time a Karen is someone who's entitled. I actually would equate a Karen being more someone who has an upbringing like me than someone who has an upbringing like you two. I notice that Karens typically are entitled, and because of that entitlement they feel like you're too close to me. Oh, I can, I can push you. I can call the police on you because you're walking your dog in the park. And I don't think you live here. That's, that's an entitlement. That's racism. That's, that's, different. that's an entitlement though of her and where she grew up and what she feels about herself more so than it is of a trauma that she has endured. So I would correlate. Oh, a, but, a it, but, parent. but white women I, grow I up. I do agree with, I do agree with you on that. I know a lot of people who like that, who are very entitled. And then I think about me, I'm too scared to say, I have to like muster up all my energy and be like, Heather, stick up for yourself. But then I think, yeah, but you're also, you're also an abuse victim. So you would be like, I can't stick up for myself. Whereas the other people are pushing off their uncomfortable feelings on other people. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's true. I don't think that's what Karen really is though. I mean, for yeah. the terminology that we use Karens for, I agree with what you're saying. I just don't think that that's typically what a Karen that we see in the media, at least, is referring to. Typically in the media, the Karens are, if you look her up, she's a nurse. She's a teacher. She's a housewife. She's driving an Escalade. She's not someone who it They're comes tiny out women later. With no power. They're tiny women with no power that go into the world and look to exert power over people that are less powerful than them which is an entitlement feeling more so than a trauma response I disagree I will find you resources to bet I I disagree with that because I look at generational trauma and generational traits and when you're small you try to be big and these women go out into the world they're small their husbands treat them like shit their kids don't like them. They're generally unpleasant to be around. And so they go into the world and they want to make sure that everybody shares their misery. That might very well be the case, but that woman lives in a five bedroom house with a three bedroom garage, three bathrooms. She has a two car garage. Her kids go to the nice school. So what I'm None saying- None of that is, has agree anything with to do saying, with your feelings though. But what I'm saying is I'm not going to correlate that to someone who truthfully has a trauma response and that is why I believe there's a difference in the media perception when you see someone and even though they're wrong 
but you can tell that maybe they suffer some from some type of disorder or whatever it's just like they're wrong they're they're still wrong but you also see that there's something wrong with them emotionally intellectually whatever i don't think that karens and i don't care that they're white women who whatever i don't care about that i don't correlate everything to just because she's a woman her husband might treat her less than or whatever and that's why she comes out into the world I genuinely think there's an entitlement factor that comes with that. Yeah, she might be scared of a black man. I'll give her that. But if she's just having another altercation with maybe another woman in the store, I'm not giving her her husband is this and I'm just not doing that. I think that there's an entitlement because I truthfully feel like a lot of people who suffer from any kind of generational trauma, who suffer from any kind of whatever similar to what heather said they're typically the opposite they're not typically the people who are going to even have the the courage to speak up now what might happen is when they do finally build up that courage they might go batshit crazy but they're not the ones who are just gonna be like oh i'm about to like flip out on this person because they have no idea what the person is going to do back to them and then even in thinking about that they go down this anxiety wormhole of like the what ifs and then it never happens this person ends up leaving before they can even do anything that's more so what I think of. So yeah, I mean, if you have like a case specifically about a Karen, I'd be interested, but like, I don't think Karens as that title itself. I might've used the wrong term, it, but Karens are where you see it most typically. Is That's the way that I look at it. They're, they, I, I don't know any functional adult that's gonna go and throw a temper tantrum on the floor. I don't. And it tends to be people that are not heard. So that is how they are heard. Does that make well, sense? Well, if people just being heard, yeah, that can be, when you say Karen, I think of like the store. But so if you're just saying that, no, I agree with that because that's anybody. That could be, that could be me. So it I comes off as Karen though. When you're in, when you're out in the world being like that, the, the, the word Karen has morphed into anybody that has basically an emotionally immature, irrational, and inappropriate response to an otherwise mundane situation because adults don't do that. Someone who is rational thinking, who has emotional regulation skills can use those skills. Like you see it all the time where like there's a white woman harassing a black man and the black man is talking to her just like, hey, it's cool. And she's like, fuck you. Like that, that's what I mean. Like that's not, she doesn't have no other tools than the tools that she's using. Does that make sense? I'm not doing that. I just don't trust them in general. So that's deeper than a little white lady not being heard. But I get what it, you're saying. It is deep. It is deep. Like I'm studying white women and their 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 inadequacies and how they present as adults. And like the mean girl in high school, the bully in high school to nurse pipeline is strong. Yeah, see, I didn't go to school with a lot of white people, so I don't really, like when I, like when you use examples about white ladies, I genuinely don't really know because I only work with, I only work with like white ladies that are on drugs and stuff or getting the, I don't typically work with just After the standard white lady. After having conversation, lady. I think I want to go move to Ohio. It sounds really nice up there. No, it's not nice. It's it's, oh. it's <laughs> yeah it's not nice. nice we just don't have a lot of people in our state so we're a mother state we're still one of the us Pennsylvania we're still one of the few that are like mother states so we just have a lot of like I personally hate Ohio 
for that exact reason though, because being a father in Ohio is extremely difficult. It's very hard. You would think that a man wanting to see his child here was foreign. That's how many hoops and battles you have to go through. Um, custody if you're not married it's just like you have to it's weird because you have to go through so much to get custody if you separate from the mom but if you guys you know when you're in the hospital all you have to do is say oh I'm the dad but then as soon as you separate you have to go through custody you have to do all this stuff just to even physically be able to go pick up your kid every other weekend like ohio is a state that is extremely for the women and it's good for the women who need it but it's bad for the women who take advantage because you can literally live your entire life here on section eight your whole life your whole your whole kids 18 years you can live it on section eight what what is section eight i've never heard that before like the housing, like assisted housing. Oh, okay. Do you guys have that? I don't, I don't know what else it's called. Yeah, we have. Um, yeah, it's Section Eight. In Florida, HUD housing. Called, yeah, that's what it's called in Florida. HUD housing. Well, it might be called oh. Section Eight too. I just didn't know that. They, yeah, no. I think that's the formal terms. HUD oh, is the oh, program, okay. the housing something department, and then Section Eight falls up underneath it. And there's like waitlisted programs for affordable housing, and then there's voucher programs and right now it's important that we have that because of the rental crisis because people are being like evicted so it gives bait like my aunt was on section eight with her kids and she had like a four-bedroom house in a pretty decent area for like five hundred dollars a month because she only worked she she worked when she could work she was disabled she had twins and like a teenager so like yeah yeah it's, yeah like here you program. can be on section eight forever like you can which is also like, I don't agree with that. I, I don't think you should be, able, I think there should be a limit. And I think that not literally controlling your body because obviously I'm a girl and why am I controlling our body? But I do think it comes a point where like, you have to stop making certain decisions if they're not benefiting the children you already have. So like, and this is more so when women are on section eight, because right now a lot of women similar with Cassie saying the rental crisis. So it's like, they're like, oh, I'm pregnant. I'm looking for a five bedroom house because I'm having my sixth baby. Okay, well, those kind of houses don't really exist anyways. Like no matter where you live, unless you're super rich, there's not a lot of just like five bedroom houses anywhere. So like put the kids in, in like double up in rooms or something. Like I don't, I'm, I can't find you that because you can't even find that in like the nicest area we just don't they're really rare, but they exist they're very very my aunt was a yeah one. like, like most exist, of the time you're living like you in said, apartments like, it's, it's really hard to find in florida i don't like and people keep moving here i don't know where all these people are finding places to live but now they're starting to move out in like rural places like where i live there's so many thousands of houses that are being built out here i can't believe it that there's so many empty houses that we could be housing homeless people in already like if they would just do the work to bring them up to code like yeah but yeah no on it like it's it all falls back like with the women she's talking about and going back to like learned helplessness if you are not raised with the tools some people 
don't know how to get the tools. So women that are in poverty cycles, they don't know any better than what they know, which is being with men, having a job and being a mother. So there is, there's no, like, and maybe they have access to tools. Maybe they cannot digest the tools. You know, maybe they didn't do so well academically. And so they end up trapped in these generational poverty cycles where they just have a bunch of kids because that's what their mom did or that's what they were told they were supposed to do. That's what you need to stay on section eight. That's literally what my patient told me. I mean, there are families that, you know, that do raise their kids like that. Like my family is one of those families where like, and I, I mean, I receive SNAP and I'm on government assistance and I'm not ashamed. I worked for a long time. I don't feel bad pulling from it. I'm disabled now and I was disabled in the workforce. So this is my reparations. But there are some people that literally raise their kids and show them how to work the system so that they never have to work. And there really are we, people like that. I know so many. And when you, but there's also, it, it's hard because when you make, too much but not enough and you don't qualify then you're in poverty even with a full-time job you know what I mean like the women that are over like $200 over the income limit they now can't afford food but they can afford rent and they don't get any help so like it's it's a it's a really screwed up system all all around it and it's there's a lot of different pieces that have been made it's definitely a trash system yeah, there could be better so ways. Many to people are it. one paycheck away from losing their house, and that's not Everything. okay. Everything. Because how can you fully be present every day of your life when you're literally one paycheck away from losing your house? I mean, or I, one unexpected emergency. Yeah, like I feel so bad for middle class America. I know it's not my job to do that, and I shouldn't carry that weight, but I really do. And I feel worse for middle, and this is more like an Ohio standpoint because like I don't live in the rest of the world. I feel more bad for like middle class than I do the rich or the poor because like you just said, it's just it's just $200 before tax or something that, that takes you off of the line. So it's like yeah. you can't get reduced lunch for your kids because you make too much money. You... Mm-hmm can't get government assistance because you make too much money you can't do all of these things because you take too much money so it's almost like this generation us who was it was so advocated go to college do this do that you do all those things you get a job you make decent money but when it comes time for the real world you just don't make enough if you were at least maybe a little bit less at something you could get government assistance. You could still work towards an education, but you could get that government assistance. And that government assistance isn't just Section 8 because I I know some people like to focus on that. It's getting daycare vouchers. It's getting food stamps. It's getting, you know, free, whatever. It's not just housing. Like people here, I know my, some of my friends, they live in Section 8. They literally pay $50, $50 in rent. Their, their gas, electric, water, all that stuff is covered by the state. $50 in rent. My friend who lives three blocks up from me lives in a gorgeous house. Her rent is $50 a month. Wow. Our kids go to the same school I district. Wish. 
I, and it's just like, I love her. She has so much potential. And when I tell you, and, and she knows it's me and her have had this whole conversation. It makes me just want to throw up because I'm like, you choose this life on purpose because it's easier. I respect that, but it's frustrating because like you have so much money that they don't know about because you make hair, you do hair, you do nails, you, you know, you are really working, you're really hustling, but you're hustling the system and you get to live a better life than me that I'm working extremely hard for because you don't, you're not married. Like, oh, and, and for married people, it's just, it's just crazy. So it's like, what type of rinky-dink setup is this that basically yeah, it's just like, all you have to do is not get married and you're low-key in a good position to at least get some kind of assistance. But as soon as you marry somebody and as soon as you and this person, man, woman, I don't know how it works 100%. I'm just going to assume it's the same if you're like gay that like y'all's incomes have to be put together. It's like, oh, now y'all are just rich in the government system. Still poor. <laughs> Dude, the, yeah, year that my I, the year that my ex-wife and I jumped up a tax bracket, we both got really good paying jobs. We, that was the literal poorest. Like we owed money at the end of the year. And I'm like, bro, this it was easier to be low. It's, it's easier to be low income. Yeah, it's it is. To, it, and that, I mean, we can tie everything back to learned helplessness. It is easier in that system to be helpless because then you get help. And it's like a fake helplessness because everybody I know, I mean, I'm not saying all of them, but the people I know, they're not helpless. They, <laughs> they're not helpless at all. They do Yeah, the people they I know, nails. they literally say, they say, this is my tax dollars. I'm just getting my tax dollars back. Yeah, they are <laughs> the not. People I know, that's what they say. And I'm like, I can't argue with that, I guess. I paid and I, tell them, I don't blame them. I paid into the system. I've been working since I was 14 years old. Now I am permanently disabled because of my mother and my work career. I don't feel not a lick of shame taking government services at this point. Like 20 plus years I've paid into them. I want them back, especially because social security is going to be gone by the time we're old enough to draw it because they're giving it to any and everybody that applied for it. I just wish I could get something like, geez, can I, I get I some food stamps or something? I wish you geez. could too. When my sister came to live with me um, last year uh, when she, uh, cause she couldn't live with my mom, my minor sister. Um, we, for some reason, they all gave us Medicaid and then they said that we could have it until COVID goes away. So we haven't paid for health insurance in like two years. So that was like just a re really nice thing, but like I never expected to happen. But yeah, I'm just like, okay, well, I'm getting all my tax dollars back because <laughs> I, I have a lot of money on health insurance. That part, I am running it up. All of the health issues that I have, that is Medicaid paying for it. I'll take all the MRIs, all the CTs, all the shit I wouldn't be able to afford if I was paying out of pocket. Yeah, I got diagnosis. my teeth fixed because of right? Medicaid. <laughs> I was able to get all my teeth fixed. Same. I got my son dental surgery under Medicaid. I wouldn't, it was like $4,000. I wouldn't have been able to afford that. Like, no. Yeah. Same. I don't know how, like they've already, like, that's a whole nother story that I'll tell another day, but, um, be, I just did not acquire the best dental hygiene. So as I got older, that messed up my teeth and um, 
oh my gosh, I'm just so happy I had the opportunity to get them fixed. And a random fun fact mm-hmm. that I recently learned that they have found um, bacteria in the mouth that can be attributed to Alzheimer's disease. So dental hygiene is absolutely a factor in who gets Alzheimer's and doesn't. Random That's fun That's probably fact. true. And awesome. uh, the book, this book right here that I've been reading, I read it a lot. It's called, uh, well, the people listening can't see it, but y'all can. It's called Genius Food. Um, and the author of this book, his mom got dementia in her early 50s. So he devoted his life to studying um, like plant medicine and things like that. And he says that according to the research that he's done, um, he's calling dementia and Alzheimer's um, type three diabetes because they said that the amyloid plaque that's in your brain, it's to stop the bad nutrition that's coming from your stomach and your stomach is directly connected to your brain via the vagus nerve so that's where that's why people say your gut is your second brain yep. so that's really interesting i'm not saying that that's true that's just the claims that hey you trauma make. girls got ibs dude if you got trauma you got ibs you got mm-hmm. exactly got <laughs> it's just the, yeah. it's the way that things work yeah. Yeah. And that's true. Like most people I know that have trauma, they have gut issues or they have an autoimmune disorder. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I plant. Yes. I completely agree that what we eat is directly related to the ways that we feel like I'm currently not like, I guess I'm malnourished because I have um, avoidant restrictive food intake with the autism, like textures. And if it's not available and blah, blah, blah. And I noticed the difference in when I eat crap, because that's what I want to eat. And when I'm eating things that are actually nourishing, my, like when I put a salad into my body, I can feel the difference when it's, you know, not covered in all the sauces. And I, I make all my own sauces and stuff for the most part. So like when your food is not tampered with a bunch of crap, your body feels differently. I feel Agreed. like that's especially true the older we get. And I was about to ask you, Diamond, d- do you feel the same with your body? No, I like 100% feel the same way with my body because like I'll just use when I'm pregnant as an example. Like when I'm pregnant, I need to eat like healthy food. Like because I have such hard pregnancies, I have to eat like I'm the healthiest in my life when I'm pregnant. <laughs> And every time I'm not pregnant and I'm like, you know, why do I eat freaking a Big Mac and a Coke and eat all these fries or like five guys? Why do I do this? Knowing that I'm going to be sluggish. And when I stop and I take the time to really eat like a salad, I saw that cowboy caviar on TikTok. So I want to like read about it and see, like, I wonder if that would be like a good, is it a good snack? It's yes, it's Mexican ceviche, and it's that that's actually a white girl like stole it and tried to read. There was a whole controversy about that. It's Mm, ceviche, and it is it's basically chemically cooked shrimp and a bunch of veggies with like whatever seasonings and like lime juice that you want to use, and it's delicious and it is very good. Making it for like the little snack because I've it's funny you guys bring it up because I want to have a coke in my hand right now, and I was telling. I was telling myself in the mirror that tomorrow morning we're going to dr- drink a ton of water for the- this week and we're going to get all of this crap out of my body because this weekend I've had McDonald's, I've had Five Guys, I've had Chick-fil-A, I've had um, 
uh, what's it called? Chipotle. I basically had everything that's not healthy. And like, I just feel like shit. And I'm like, I got to cut it out. Like I have to stop. So I was Girl, start that, making so them now- make them recipes at home. That's what I've been doing. Everything that I want yeah. to eat fast food. I just cook it at home and it's a hundred times healthier and it's a hundred times better. Cause I seen that. And I was like, Oh, I'm going to try this. Like that would be like a good little thing to eat in the middle of the day. I did make some mango salsa and whew, I ate it all in one sitting though. So that defeated the, its purpose of being healthy. Um, yeah, yeah. If, if your body wants it, just have it. It's not about so I like, agree what's healthy guys. is what you want to eat. Like I've been eating a lote salad, which is, what's oh that? my God. It's basically, it's the white girl that did Mexican corn salad on TikTok. And then she was dragged mm. home by all of Hispanic TikTok. I saw that one. I saw that one. That but sounds really, I didn't see that, but that sounds really good. Y'all are making me want a salad. It's basically now that it's uh summer. Yes, it's dude, it's basically boiled roasted corn with crema and tahini and uh that I can't remember the cheese called, but the 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 crumbly Mexican cheese Mm -hmm. starts with a C. I can't think of it, but yeah, like mix it all together and you slather the corn with it, and then you like, yeah. It's it was 68 amazing. degrees here today, so I did sit on my porch and eat some McDonald's. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna insert a salad tomorrow. But I was so happy. My friend, she lives in North Carolina, and I don't. It was like it was maybe like 89 or so. I don't know. It was, it was it was warmer than it was in Ohio, and and she's like, "Why are you on your porch? Like, isn't it, isn't it hot?" And I'm like, "Girl, no. It's only 68 degrees here. I'm living my best life out here eating my McDonald's." shoving my face I'm definitely some really good recipes like I'm definitely motivated I love I love TikTok I do make sure though that you're looking at the recipes that are not culturally appropriated because that has been a thing going around where like white girls are like hijacking recipes and adding random stuff and then like renaming them and it's very disrespectful to the culture. So like, make sure when you are taking those recipes in that you're making sure they, that they came from the horse's mouth. Cause like, yeah. Well, I do a lot of, like a lot of the people, I, a lot of the cook people, like I saw that cowboy caviar, like it was like on the For You page. A lot of the people that I follow who cook, they're, they're Hispanic. So like, I usually... Like when I can't think of what I want to make, like I'll usually be like, oh, let me go on such and such a page because that's kind of what we eat most often. But I will start paying attention when it's a white person because I mean, so something I was talking to my friend about because she's like one of she's like one of my three like white friends that I've had for like a long time. And I asked her, she's not she's not Greek. So one of my friends is Greek. She's she's just white. And so I asked her, I was just like, all jokes aside, so don't laugh. And she's like, oh my gosh, I know you're about to say something crazy. And I was like, I am. What's you guys, like, what is considered, like, like, do y'all have a dish? Like, just regular white people? Do you guys have yes. like, a dish? Did you yes. guys create it? Like, not Indy Italian casserole. and not Greek. Exactly. And you know what's funny is that's what I said. I was like, like is it green bean casserole? And she was like, no, we don't all eat green bean casserole. And I was like, well, 
what's your dish? Like casseroles, have <laughs> various things that are casseroles or things that they, that are not salads that they call salads. Follow. There's a Midwest lady that she teaches all the salads. Like if they're not salads, they're, it, yeah. oh, like White a potato people. salad. No, like I think one of them's like Snickers salad and it's like a Snickers salad girl it's marshmallow like that marshmallow puff in the jar with like Snickers and they call it a sat like that's not a sat that's not how words mean things we call it in Florida we call that white crack but does that even count like how long has that been around forever really Mm -hmm. forever like I'll send you her TikTok it's bit like white people have and the yeah White people have, they they don't have any dishes that they can claim that weren't appropriated at, I'm sorry, Heather. I don't mean to. That's what I told Um, Yeah, Heather. I don't care. Only thing I know how to cook is grilled cheese, spaghetti, maybe some hamburgers. So I can't cook worth a shit. (laughs) So let me send you some when I said it. (laughs) I was at her house when I said it and her dad was walking around but he knows me. He loves me. But it was so funny because I'm like, yeah, that's because you guys steal every goddamn thing. <laughs> and then her do. dad, her dad was like, you know what, Diamond? You got us there. You're not wrong. <laughs> Look at Mark Zuckerberg. Look, <laughs> we steal stuff. <laughs> <laughs> like, it must suck to just not have anything that's like specific to you and then he and then and then he was just like but I heard you count out those Greeks and Italians I say yeah they're their own people like they're not like they y'all. are like they don't count <laughs> and because he, their and culture he, and comes started, before their color yeah and he was and that's what he was talking to uh, us about and he said that he he finds it interesting that I said that because he says he first person he heard that from was like a Hispanic he didn't remember but he just said I learned that from other cultures that other people correlate Greek people and Italian people as being something different than just white. And I'm like, yeah, because y'all are like white, white. They're not that kind of white. They're different. And he's like, yeah, like you guys really think that. I was like, yeah, like they kept their culture. That's why. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Laughing. Because he said he's like other white people don't typically say it like they don't typically separate them. And I'm like, well, I don't see y'all stealing their shit. (laughs) Because it's culturally, it's not stuff that they would want to. Dude, have you ever had Greek food? I think it's delicious. A lot of people think it's gross. I love love Greek food. There's actually a good bit of Greek food in Florida. Oh, see, we have a lot of where I live. It's a ton of Greek people. Like they all came from, I don't know how to say the island, but like we have a, we have is it a Mykonos? Of people here. No, is it Mykonos? K- oh. No, it's K Y L M something. I don't know how to Did say you it. Know they all, that all from there. Mediterranean people have the biggest brains in the world because of all of the extra virgin olive oil that they put on their food and it decreases inflammation throughout their body. So therefore they have the largest brains and skulls of all human beings in the world. It's I are they smarter? Know. Yes, they are smarter. I am hmm. gonna have to tell I have a Apparently, I'm the patron saint of trans babies on TikTok, like motherless trans children. Um, and I, one of my trans babies is Greek. So I'm going to relay that fact to him. Oh, that's wait, awesome. wait, what? 
I'm the, I'm a, I, I provide mothering for the trans children. Like oh, a lot, I, I have a lot of like 20 year old trans kids that follow me on the app and they listen to the way I talk about my kids and like they, yeah, they open up and they talk to me and they reach out for support and I've got my little network of babies. And so they have a rent a mom when they need one. Oh, that is so stinking cute. So wait, yeah. Heather, are they actually smarter? Because like, I'm trying to think of like what Mediterranean, even though of course it's like, it's set up, but like, who is like the famous Mediterranean genius that we know about? I'm trying to. I don't know any um, like Mediterranean geniuses and they may not be necessarily smarter. They just have the capacity to be smarter, but whether, you know, they use that or not, but um, yeah, there was um, like a study done of like a hundred people who lived in uh, like over a various amount of time. And the ones who um, lived in the Mediterranean um, had the had bigger brains than people the, in other countries and they said it's oh, because of all yeah. of virgin olive oil so that and, and make sure when you drink your uh, extra virgin olive oil it comes out of a dark glass a dark yeah dark I don't know why dark brown no glass. that makes sense because they're not duh they're not even over here so why would they yeah oh that is so cool yeah, they're way over there. Plus, they eat all that fresh food and um, lamb and goat and stuffs. Um, Ew, I do not cow. like lamb. I can't and get they walk. the lamb train. Dude, lamb yeah. is delicious. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, I can't. Lamb That's... is fire if it's made right. I feel like it's lamb. it's lamb chop. I can't. Like I, I can just get see little it. lamb chops. I think it's so But I'm not a big meat eater. Cheese. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's the chicken and lamb is like the only meat i'll eat i I can't eat cows cows uh uh, like tear my stomach up it's a once in a blue moon for us we just had burgers chicken yes and ground turkey oh yeah i like ground turkey i like ground turkey too well i've really enjoyed (laughs) this conversation with y'all tonight I have to get ready to um, retire for the evening. So I will see you. Heather, let's not say retire. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, I was trying to make hey, it I'm sound per- professional. We have to go to work in the morning. And so we have to go to bed. I don't like retire. Like that stresses me out. Like Who's you're dying to sleep or something. Well, I have to go to work. <laughs> yeah, let's go. Let's, we going to sleep. <laughs> we going to sleep. <laughs> um but yeah night, uh, y'all. yeah good night everyone thank you i'll see y'all again next week thank you bye